Good morning, everyone. We're going to uh, turn away from the Psalms for a little while and think about the book of Ruth. So Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Marlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. It really touched my heart afresh when thinking of this dear woman, Ruth, who trusted and sheltered beneath the shadow of the Almighty, of his wings, the Lord God. So I wanted to think about this book for a little while. And the first verse says this. Um, and it is really a continuation of the last verse of the previous book, that is the book of Judges. And the final verse says this of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. In order to put this situation into, into context completely, we need to go back to the end of the book of Joshua and the beginning of the book of Judges. This is what it says in, jo in Judges 2, verses 8 to 11. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died, and also all that generation and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is what we might call the third generation problem. The first generation are those who had seen and known firsthand the mighty works of God. For instance, redemption out of Egypt the parting of the Red Sea, and they came over on dry land, miraculous guidance of God through the wilderness by the pillar of cloud in the day and the fire by night. They'd known the presence of God among them and experienced his awesome power and glory at Mount Sinai. They had been led by the hand of Moses, a man who spoke with God face to face, even as a man speaks to his friend, the scripture says. They'd known the parting of the Jordan for them, and they came over again on dry land, the miraculous entrance into the promised land. They'd seen the walls of, Jer of Jericho falling down flat into the ground. They'd seen, possessed and enjoyed the blessings of the land promised to their forefathers. I could go on and on and on. The second generation are their children who had a direct link with the people that had experienced those amazing evidences of divine power at work. They'd seen and heard the personal testimony of that first generation. 
But then there's the next generation, the third generation, the grandchildren, so to say, are disconnected from the reality and the vital knowledge and experience of and with the people and the influences that the mighty works of God had had upon them. This is where the book of Ruth begins. This man Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, left the land of promise, the land that God had said would be a land flowing with milk and honey, and went down into Moab. Moab was a land of wickedness, wantonness, and extreme indulgence, including immorality of every kind, like Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, where Moab actually came from. Like our present Western society, regrettably. Elimelech had a name, but he never lived in the enjoyment of what his parents had appreciated. They called him by that name, My God is King, because they believed it and because they accepted that God was and should be king. He should be sovereign and he should be in my life. Not only his name, but his home was Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread. And this was now a place of famine and famished people. Oh, dear listener, hypocrisy and superficiality, how it mars and marks the testimony of those who profess to know and trust God. Why did they leave Bethlehem? Because there was a famine in the land, which should have been, as I said, a land flowing with milk and honey. Because Bethlehem, the house of bread, had become barren and empty instead of being what God had intended it to be. It had become like it was when Jesus came. You remember, there was no room found for him in Bethlehem. I may be speaking to some who are either thinking of leaving or maybe have already left the place where God has placed his name. The place where there ought to be an abundance of substance, sustenance, sweetness and refreshment. Every true church should be characterised by these things. But alas, that sadly is not so. Or it may be that you've never been part of a church. So there's no thought of you leaving. You don't profess to know God or have received his salvation. And what you've seen of those who call themselves Christians and their behaviour certainly doesn't inspire you in any way to join a church or even listen to what they have to say. Can I say shame on us and on those places and people that have a name that says God is in the place that is his by right, but in fact, because of behaviour and practice, his authority and position and presence is denied. I say shame on those people and places where there is a famine. Maybe not of biblical teaching and doctrine, but of practical evidences of the love of God. Places and people that evidence so little of the beautiful characteristics of those who have experienced the nurture and nourishment of the Holy Spirit. Instead, barrenness and neglect when it comes to practical Christianity. These things ought not to be. If your children... Sorry, if your Christian life is just a profession 
and a name with no deep experience of the love of God in your heart, giving expression in your behaviour towards God and towards others, then I suggest you perhaps belong to that third generation. That generation which has little vital connection with the reality of Christ and of God. I'd like to challenge every Christian listener this morning to go to the place of prayer, wherever that may be, and do an examination of heart in the presence of the Lord. Even though this may be regrettably the norm in so many churches, be like Naomi, the wife of Elimelech. Her name means pleasing. And I believe that she was pleasing to God. She went in subjection to her husband, of course, but she wasn't a famished soul. In fact, she says in the last verse of chapter 1, I went out full. She knew her God. She was an amazing testimony to her daughters-in-law, so much so that Ruth, previously a woman of Moab, characterized, I take it, by that nation and those people, wanted Naomi's people and Naomi's God more than anything else in the world. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? What about my testimony? Do people want my God? Do people want to know the God that I tell them about? So to conclude, if you're not saved this morning, don't allow the hypocrisy that's rife in professing Christians and churches to hinder you from having a personal experience of the blessings that God has in store for those who genuinely come to him, come to know him and shelter beneath the shadow of his wings, the shadow of the Almighty. God bless his word to you today. We should think perhaps of other aspects of this little book next time. God bless you.